you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter number six. I appreciate the theme of that song. It actually portrays a little bit of what's happening in our text this morning in Mark chapter six. I'm thankful that God sees the bigger picture, aren't you? All we can see is the water, the wind, and the waves, and I'm thankful that God sees the rainbow when we can't. Meaning this, God sees the end of the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Friend, listen, you won't always be there. So quit thinking that you've got to resign yourself to living there forever. God will get you through. He'll get you through. Mark chapter number six. I want to tell you the start of my message today about some very interesting medical conditions that might sound fake at first, but they're actually very real. I wonder how many have ever heard of the werewolf syndrome, also known as hypertrichosis. Heard of that? This condition causes excessive hair growth. My dad's been praying for this syndrome to hit him <laughs> for years. He's been praying that, that, God, would you give me the werewolf syndrome? It causes excessive hair growth all over the body except the palms of your hands and the soles of your feet. The older I get, the more I think I'm getting the werewolf syndrome. I am losing a little hair up here, but my barber's starting to charge me extra because he's got to trim the hair coming out of my ears. Does that happen when you turn 36? I don't know. That, it's a little awkward, though. There's something called sleeping beauty syndrome, Klein-Levin disease. Those with this condition suffer from periods of excessive amounts of sleep. And no, it's not just teenagers. They have bouts where they sleep for 20 hours at a time, and these episodes can last for weeks. How many would like to have a little bit of the sleeping beauty syndrome just every once in a while? Auto brewery syndrome, gut fermentation disease. This is rare. It's a condition in which pure alcohol is produced in a person's gut who has eaten carbohydrate-rich foods. These people suffer from intoxication and even hangovers without drinking one sip of alcohol. You ever eaten a meal that was so good and you ate so much of it that you felt like you were hungover for the rest of the day? Well, that's called gluttony. That's not called auto brewery syndrome. I mention those rare conditions because I'm going to talk about a spiritual condition today that might sound just as odd at first, even fake, but it's very real. And many Christ followers, I no doubt many of you are trying to follow Christ. Many have suffered from this condition. It's called bad heart sight. You've heard of bad eyesight. But this is bad heart sight. And yes, I made this up. Bad heart sight occurs whenever the condition of your spiritual heart affects the condition of your spiritual sight. It's when a bad heart causes you to have a bad perspective. You might say, Pastor Tyler, where did you get that from? Well, there's actually a principle in Proverbs chapter 4 that teaches us that, that our heart affects our eyes. In verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 4, look at this. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence. That word keep means guard it. Why? Why take care of your inner man? For out of it are the issues of life. He gives us a couple examples, such as what you say, 
So he says, put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. And then look what he says next. Let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Here's what the principle is. The heart, not just the heart that beats your blood. The heart represents your, your spiritual being. It is the command center of your life. Everything flows out of your heart. Your heart tells your mouth what to say, your feet where to go, your hands what to do, your eyes what to see. That means when your words aren't right, it's because your heart isn't right. Well, I just slipped. Nope. When your decisions aren't right, it's because your heart is. Well, I, I, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, we do. But everybody has a bad heart, too. When your viewpoint or your perspective or your spiritual eyesight isn't right. You know why? It's because your heart isn't right. If you're not seeing things in your life right uh, at this point, it's not an eye problem. You don't need to go to the eye doctor. It's a heart problem. You need some surgery done by the word of God this morning. That's where I get the term bad heart sight. And the disciples in Mark chapter 6 were suffering from this condition. Now we're going to study verses 30 through 52, which contains two very familiar popular stories from the Bible. One is the feeding of the 5,000, and one is where Jesus walked to his disciples in the midst of a storm, and he walked to them on water. Both of these stories take place in the same 24-hour period. But unlike most sermons, I'm not going to start at the beginning of the text, verse 30. I want us to start at the very end of the text, verse number 52, because I think it's the anchor for the main idea of our message. Look at verse number 52. For they, that's talking about the disciples, considered not the miracle of the loaves. Why? For their heart was hardened. Now follow this church. This verse right here sums up this adventurous day, action-packed day in the life of the 12 disciples. During this day, Jesus had taken his disciples away for a little bit of rest and relaxation. We'll talk about that in a moment. While there, they feed over 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Then he tells them to get in a boat, go to the other side into Bethsaida. That's when a life-threatening storm hit them. And then Jesus stopped what he was doing, which was praying all by himself. And he went and walked to his disciples on the water and rescued them. And the way Mark ends his telling of this action-packed day was by revealing that the disciples had hard hearts. Now that seems anticlimactic. And so it baffled me in my study. Why did Mark end with such a negative detail about the disciples? I, I asked the question, what about the disciples caused Mark to say that they had hard hearts? What were the symptoms that Mark saw in the disciples' lives on this day by way of the Holy Spirit that revealed they had a heart problem? That's where verses 30 through 51 come in. Because there are, there are two stories that I feel like show three symptoms of the disciples' hard hearts. And ironically, every symptom has something to do with their sight, has something to do with their point of view, has something to do with their perspective. To be honest, I studied this text this week and I saw a lot of myself in the disciples. I think if you're honest and you listen to this sermon with humility and honesty, study it with me today. I think you might find a lot of yourself in the disciples as well, because here's the truth. We too, as followers of Christ can quickly develop bad heart sight. 
where the hardness of our hearts causes us to see the Christian life from the wrong point of view. I want to point out three results of bad heart sight in our text, beginning in verse number 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto them. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people. He was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place. And now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. Did you catch what's going on? The disciples just come off this incredibly successful but busy missionary journey. A lot of good things happened. They told Jesus and he discerned that they needed some R&R. And so he said, let's, let's get away. You don't, guys don't even have time to eat right now. So let's get into a ship. Let's go away. The problem with that is though they were headed to a desert place, which just signified basically out in the middle of nowhere where nobody was, Jesus' ministry was so popular, they couldn't get away from people. They loved to hear him teach and preach and perform miracles. And so as the disciples get in a boat to go to the other side of the lake to this wilderness uh, place to have a little vacation, here comes these people put on their running shoes and beat them to the spot. And when they unload out of the boat, they see that all these people are there to interrupt their vacation. Have you ever had vacation plans interrupted? I don't like to be interrupted at all. Let alone have my vacation interrupted that I planned for, that I paid for. But what's amazing is the perspective that Jesus had of these people interrupting their time away as compared to the perspective the disciples had. Did you notice in our text that Jesus saw them as sheep that needed a shepherd. Now get this. Sheep really do need a shepherd. Okay, sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable. Vulnerable to predators. Vulnerable to disease. Vulnerable to, to wander away from the fold. Sheep are dumb animals. They don't care for themselves. Jesus, when he looked upon this crowd, he saw people that needed his care and guidance. And without it, they would be destined for spiritual danger. Yet the disciples saw the mass of people, not like sheep, but like a multitude of burdens and issues and baggage and said, get them out of here. My question is this, what made the difference in the two perspectives? Here's what made the difference, their heart. Verse 34 says Jesus' heart was moved with compassion. That's why he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Verse 52 said the disciples' heart was hard. That's why they saw, they saw them as more of a hassle. Here's the first result of bad heart sight. It causes you to see the hassle of people more than the souls of people. How do you see people today? Now let's get more specific. How do you see that person in your family who everyone knows is lost and needs some major help? While everyone else in the family sees them as beyond salvageable and kind of a hassle to deal with, do you see them as somebody with a soul? Somebody who may just need a shepherd to guide and care for them when no one else will? 
Hey, how do you see that person at work who's kind of loud, kind of lazy, kind of moody, kind of arrogant at times? Maybe I'm talking about your boss. While everyone sees only their outward demonstrations of insecurity and inconsistency and instability and, and, and lack of integrity, and they see it all as a huge hassle to deal with, and they go like the wide route around that individual, do you see somebody who desperately needs a Savior to guide their soul? How do you see that person in your life, maybe the one you even go to church with, that just flat out gets on your nerves? Now, their personality kind of great at you. They, they say or post things on social media that get under your skin. Their political viewpoints are different than yours. Or there can be any number of things that causes a person to fall down to the bottom of your list of favorite people. I have found that in a growing church like ours, it's very likely that there will be people that you worship with every week that are different than you. Do you see those people in your life as a hassle? that need to conform to all of your ways and your wants and your wishes and your style? Or do you see them as somebody with a soul just like yours? Somebody who was once lost but now is found. Somebody that was blind but now can see. Someone who's in bondage but have been set free and they are loved by God as much as you are? See, there's a really important point of application here because our church's mission is helping people find and follow Jesus. Somebody said the ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. No people, no ministry. There's not a valid ministry that doesn't involve people with very real needs. That's why our mission statement as a church that will be up there for a very long time is helping people find and follow Jesus. May I remind you, when Jesus saved his disciples and called his disciples, he didn't just say, follow me and walk away. What did he say? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, I'm not calling you to be isolated from people. I'm calling you to be connected to people, especially people that are like sheep without a shepherd. May I say, if you lack compassion for people in your life, then you are not fulfilling the mission that God has called you to fulfill. Because you can't help people find and follow Jesus if you don't have compassion. I'm not saying that a heart of compassion causes you to overlook or not even be able to see or recognize their personality quirks or their differences or their, even their sinful lifestyle. I'm not saying that. It's just that a heart of compassion toward people enables you to see more than their awkward personality. It enables you to see beyond their sinful lifestyle. It enables you to get past their political preferences and it allows you to see that beyond all those things rests a soul that is destined to spend eternity somewhere in heaven or hell and and that compassion leads you to get past all of those things that might bother you so that you can get to their soul. Hey, you know you have bad heart sight when a person becomes more of a hassle to avoid than a soul to save. The text moves on. It shows us that these people had some very real needs. They relied on Jesus and the disciples to meet those needs. Look at verse 36. Disciples said, send them away. They may go into the country round about into the village and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? So obviously the need involved hunger. There was a lot of these people. Did you know this story is the only story that is, that is uh, put into the canon of Scripture in all four Gospels? That means we can piece together a lot of details for this story. And we know a little bit about this crowd based on other gospels, that this crowd, one gospel says it, it contained 5,000 people, but, but just men only. 
So that means if every man had a wife, there was 10,000. If every couple had a child, there was 15,000. Most scholars agree that this crowd probably ranged somewhere between 25 and 30,000 people. Hey, that's larger than the community of liberal Kansas. How did the disciples see the task of feeding this many people? Well, probably the same way you would see the task of feeding this many people, as an impossibility. They figured that it would take 200 penny worth of bread to feed a crowd that size. In other words, they said, Jesus, you're asking us to feed these people. You understand that to cater one meal would cost eight months worth of wages. Now, you just imagine that it was up to you to feed liberal Kansas for one day. Could you afford that? I mean, not even a cheap meal. I couldn't even afford a cheap meal. I could not even afford McDoubles for everybody. This is an impossibility. On top of that, do you remember Jesus told them when he sent them off to a missionary journey? He said, don't take bread. He said, don't take money. Take a shepherd's staff and sandals. And I can imagine now they're looking at Jesus and, and you're, they're saying, dude, you just told us to not take bread and money around with us. And now you're asking us how much bread and money we have? So it's not just an impossibility. It's an irritant. This is impossible. But Jesus saw it differently. He wasn't trying to, trying to pick on his disciples or annoy them. It's just that what they saw as an impossible, impossible situation, he saw as a magnificent opportunity. That's why he asked his disciples, how much do you have? They said, we got five loaves of bread and two small fish. We know from other gospels that came from a little boy. That's an amount they saw as less than sufficient to meet the need. But Jesus had a different point of view. And he did what the disciples couldn't do because they weren't willing to do. And they weren't willing to do it because they couldn't see it the way Jesus was seeing it. I wonder how many miracles you've missed out on. Because you see your situation as more of an impossibility than an opportunity. Jesus organized the crowd into companies of fifties and hundreds. He prayed. Broke the five loaves of bread into, into pieces. Broke the two fish into pieces. Gave a little bit to each disciple. Could you imagine that? Well, what, what's this going to do? And they began to distribute this. And you can just have it in your mind's eye however you see it. We would all be able to write the, the intricacies of this story different, having not been there. All I know is that it was an unbelievable miracle. And there were over 12 baskets left over, one for each disciple to behold. I want you to get what's happening. The disciples had a situation in their lives that was too difficult to handle. They had a problem that was too difficult to solve. They had a crisis that, that, that was just too difficult to avoid. But because of their hard hearts, they saw that difficult situation as more of, a, as more of an impossibility been an opportunity, and that's the second result of bad heart sight. It causes you to see the impossibility of your situation more than the opportunity of your situation. You might have a situation in your life looming before you right now, and to you it's as difficult as trying to feed 15,000 people with a little boy's lunch. You absolutely do not know how you're going to meet the demand, how you're going to solve the problem. How are you going to overcome the challenge? 
how you're going to address the issue. And if you're honest, your situation has become as close to unbearable as you ever thought possible. And here's why. Because these kind of situations weigh on us over time if they don't resolve. The intensity of them mounts and our minds begin to play tricks and panic sets in and we lose sleep and, and our stomach churns and we struggle to concentrate at work and we face all kinds of emotions. Friend, if this describes you, then you have encountered this story and this message today by no mere coincidence. I want to challenge you to place yourself in this passage as one of the disciples. And I want to challenge you to make your situation the crisis of this story. Because if you're like me, you'll probably identify with the disciples a lot more than you'll identify with Jesus. And maybe if you're honest, you're viewing your situation as more of an impossibility than an opportunity. Hey, your situation may involve your marriage, it may involve your kids, it may involve your finances, it may involve your health, it may involve your employment, it may involve your future, or any number of things. But no matter your situation, here's what you need to know. A hard heart will lead you to see only these challenges as impossibilities and it will prevent you from seeing the magnificent opportunity for God to do the impossible. Charles Swindoll puts it this way. We face magnificent opportunities throughout our lives, each one brilliantly disguised as an impossible situation. Man, I love that. But you know what? Our hard hearts don't let us see it that way. Hey, if you're here today and you're facing a difficult situation, a crisis point right now, big or small, ask yourself this. Am I viewing this? How am I viewing this situation right now? Am I viewing this as an impossibility, as something that will never go away, as something that will never be fixed, as something that will never be overcome? Or am I viewing it as an opportunity for God to be God? Am I viewing it as an opportunity for my prayer life to be enhanced? Or my faith to be strengthened? Or my heart to be molded? Or my attitude to be changed? Or my priorities to be rearranged? Or my relationships to be restored. Hey, how you see your difficult situation today reveals the condition of your heart as a follower of Christ. There's more whining than praying. More complaining than intercession. More self-pity than action. Chances are you've got a hard heart that's affected the way you see the situation in your life right now. You know what's sad about how the disciples saw this? Is because they just returned from a mission strip where they were given the power of God to perform miracles themselves. Heal diseases. I'm talking about apostleship type power. We don't need that power today. We have the canon of scripture. But I'm talking about back in this dispensation, they were given apostleship type power and they went through the streets and the villages and the homes and families seeing lives changed. Lives changed. Their confidence should be at an all time high. And yet Jesus was now in their presence. And what he allowed them to do outside of his presence, they doubted that they could do in his presence. That's what a hard heart will do. It will cause us to miss opportunities because all we see is impossibility. And when Jesus saw that this was a condition of their heart, that this just wasn't because they were tired or irritated by people that interrupted vacation. He said, this goes deeper than the surface. They didn't need rest, Jesus is thinking. They need a storm. They don't need vacation. 
They need a situation right now that they can't handle and they can't get out of. That's the only way I'm going to get them to see that their heart isn't right. Look at verse 45. And straightway, this is how we know it took place on the same day. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get in the ship and go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. When he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. Don't miss this. Jesus told them to get into a boat, go to the other side, knowing full well. You know, Jesus was God, right? Knowing full well what they would encounter in a few hours. Or should I say this way, knowing full well what he knew they needed to encounter in a few hours. They would encounter a life-threatening storm, one that would scare even experienced fishermen to death. I know that because of how Mark described them in the boat. They were toiling and rowing. That word toiling means they were torturing themselves just to stay alive, just to keep the ship afloat. So Jesus left where he was praying, no doubt interceding for them walked to them on the water in person. And the disciples didn't even recognize him. They just spent a day with him. They've walked with him and talked with him and slept beside him in the middle of a desert place. They had just witnessed his miracle, wonder-working power to feed over 5,000 people with just a little boy's lunch. But they didn't expect him to come save them. That's called bad heart sight. See, here's what happened. Their hard hearts caused them to see their storm more than their savior. Watch this. Bad heart sight doesn't just cause you to see the hassle of people more than the souls of people. It doesn't just cause you to see the impossibility of your situation more than the opportunity of your situation. Lastly, this morning, it causes you to see the danger of your storm more than the savior of your storm. See, bad heart sight is why followers of Christ encounter a storm in their life and they default to fear and worry and panic and self-pity and anger and isolation. It's why they don't run to church. They stay out of church. It's why they go to alcohol or nicotine or pain meds or porn or food or spending money or anything else that is necessary to numb their pain of what they're going through. Because their hard hearts prevent them from recognizing that the Lord has not forsaken them. The Lord has not left them. In many cases, the Lord put them in that storm. And so they get desperate because their eyesight has affected or their heart has affected their eyesight. They, they, they say, well, if God's not with me, then I got to go find somebody to be with me. I got to find somebody to make me feel better. See, what's interesting about this storm in Mark chapter six is that it's not the first storm like this the disciples have been through. You've been studying with me. This is the 13th message in Mark. Three or four messages ago in Mark chapter four, we, we, we talked about a storm that they went through that it was, it was life-threatening. The same kind of magnitude 
Remember, Jesus was sleeping in the boat and they thought they were going to die. That's why they said, Master, will you wake up and take care of this? Carest thou not that we perish? We're dying over here. Jesus rebuked the storm. You would have thought that they would have learned that day that their Savior has power over Mother Nature. You would have thought that they learned that if Jesus called them to go to the other side, that he was going to equip them and enable them to get to the other side. Yet somewhere between the storm in Mark 4 and the storm in Mark 6, their hearts got so hard that they totally forgot about God's power. It never even dawned on them that the same Savior that calmed the storm in chapter 4, that fed the multitude hours ago, could actually be the person walking to them on the water. They thought it was a ghost. If you're in a storm today, let me ask you this question. Are you so overwhelmed with the danger of your storm and the intensity of your storm and the longevity of your storm? The reality of the consequences that might come because of your storm that you've forgotten about the God of your storm? Are your eyes so much on the winds and the waves and the waters that you've forgotten about the presence and the power of God in your life? Is your heart so hard that you've already forgotten the last storm that God saw you through? Mark made it a point that they forgot the miracle of the loaves. Is your heart so hard that you've forgotten the last miracle that God did for you? Are you only seeing the danger of your storm, the longevity of your storm, the difficulty of your storm, so much so that you only feel the wind coming at you. You only sense the waves coming at you. You feel like you're going to, to, to sink beneath the weight of your burden. Hey, listen to me. God is still present in your life. The God of your past is the God of your present. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not saying that God ha has, has, has performed the level of miracle, maybe tangibly, that he did in front of the disciples' eyes that day in the middle of nowhere when he fed over 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. But I can, I can tell you this, God has done a miracle or two in your life. There's been an episode or two where God has intervened when no one else would. There's been a situation in your life before I guarantee it where if it weren't for God's presence and power intervening in your life, you would have sunk a long time ago. There have been things that God has done in your life, but because of your hard heart, you, you've just totally forgotten about those. And now you're in your boat toiling and rowing, feeling like you're torturing yourself just to even come to church on a Sunday and sing a song to the God of heaven because there was a long time ago that you lost sight of his goodness in your life and his power in your life. Listen, friend, if that's the case, it's a heart problem. You just need to get your heart to a place where you can stay in your boat by faith. And wait patiently for your Savior to intervene and not be surprised when he does. Boy, it's amazing, isn't it, how much our heart can affect our sight. Affects the way we see people. Affects the way we see the difficult situations in our life. Even affects the way we see God in the midst of our storms. I recently read about an article that was posted 
in the Montreal Gazette about a man named Pierre Paul Thomas. Very, very interesting. He was born blind. Don't miss this story. He could only imagine the world that was often described to him from others. For years, he walked with a white cane to avoid obstacles in front of him. But at the age of 66, they say Thomas fell down a staircase in his apartment building and fractured all the bones of his face. He was rushed to the hospital with severe swelling around his eyes. A team of doctors went to work to repair the bones. Months later, he went to be examined by a plastic surgeon for a consultation about repairing his scalp. The surgeon kind of casually asked Thomas, as though it was no big deal, Thomas, while we're fixing your scalp, do you want us to fix your eyes too? Thomas thought he was joking. He didn't understand him. He didn't even know how to respond. He said, sure, doc, whatever. Not long after that, Thomas had surgery on his scalp. And he woke up and could see for the first time. Suddenly his world consisted of bright colors he had never fathomed before. He spoke of being awestruck by flowers blossoming and and trees blooming. I mean, it's a really, really neat story. But as beautiful as this story is of a 66-year-old man who is able to see for the first time, there's a sad reality. He could have had the same surgery at a younger age and been able to see a lot earlier. See, Thomas had assumed such a possibility was impossible. And he had resigned himself to a life of blindness when in reality he could have experienced the gift of sight decades earlier. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend any moment of my life missing out on what God wants me to see right now. I don't want to suffer from bad heart sight. I don't want to see people as a hassle when God wants me to see them as sheep without a shepherd. I don't want to see my situation as impossible when God wants me to see it as an opportunity. Hey, I don't want to see the danger of my storm when God wants me to see his power and presence in my storm. How sad it would be for you as a follower of Christ to follow him but because of a hard heart miss out on seeing the wonders of following I wonder if the Holy Spirit, the great physician, has diagnosed anybody today with bad heart sight. I wonder if he's made his way down your row, put you on the operation table, scoped your heart a little bit, and said, yep, I know the way you see people. That's not because they're just annoying, that's that's because you lack compassion and patience. And love. It's a heart problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. I know how you're complaining and belly aching and isolating yourself from people during this crisis in your life because it's just impossible. You've resigned yourself to it. It's an impossibility. Addiction will never be overcome. Marriage will never be fixed. God will never give us a baby. Finances will never make it back to where they used to be. My business will never succeed. I know it's all impossibility. I'm just going to keep living my life one day at a time like I'm not even saved. And he's told you, hey, it's actually not a job problem. It's not a money problem. And it's not a marriage problem. 
It's how you're seeing all those problems. It's a heart problem. I wonder if some of you just need the cure for bad heart sight today. And it's very simple. One word, repentance. You know what that means? Changing your mind. It means saying, God, I accept, number one, that I have bad heart sight. Number two, I acknowledge the reality that it isn't my environment. It's not my situation. It's not what's around me. It's what's in me. And I'm asking you to fix the real problem right now in my life. The heart problem. Fix me. Change me. Mold me. Open my eyes. Would you stand to your feet, please? Every head.